In Genesis chapter 12, let's stand once you found your places for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at the first five verses this morning. We'll read them responsibly. I'll read the odd verses alone. We'll read the even verses together with the exception of verse five. We will be reading verses four and five together. The Bible says there, beginning in verse one. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and all in, in and in thee rather shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went from forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. This morning, we're going to preach a Mother's Day style sermon. I may not do that every year, but uh, I felt uh, like this would be a good message to bring. And the title is rather simple. It is simply this, A Character Study of Sarah. A Character Study of Sarah. Let's pray. I do pray, Lord, this morning that you'd help us as we look in your word and and look at um, both the, the positives and some of the blemishes of Sarah, the life of Sarah. God, that you'd uh, you would encourage us. God, there is no perfect Christian here today. Uh, there's definitely not a perfect wife or mother here today. Uh, but Lord, uh, we look at Sarah, who was not perfect, but Lord gave her absolute best. And uh, God, uh, we're thankful that you did allow some of her flubs to be recorded in Scripture. So we can see those and we can learn from them. But God, I pray today as we hold up Sarah as a mother, uh, Lord, that more importantly, we would hold you up as the God of Sarah and uh, the, the God that she followed and had faith toward and Lord, I pray that the message today would encourage many hearts. And Lord, help us to always um, be thankful for the wonderful ladies that you've put into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Looking for some material when preparing this uh, message today, I came across this article that uh, was written by a man of much experience in marriage. And the title of his article is What Not to Buy Your Wife. What Not to Buy Your Wife. And i got to say that I have bought my wife the wrong things enough times where my, my antenna went up and I said, I've got to read this article. And it was so good that I'm hoping to save you men a lot of heartache and grief down the road. Okay? And he says this, he says, although the only person a man usually shops for is his wife, the whole experience is a stressful one. Many a man has felt extreme frigid temperatures for a long period based on a poor present decision. As a veteran of these wars, I'm still not sure what I'm supposed to buy my wife, but I'll pass on what you're not supposed to buy her. He says, number one, you guys got your pins out, you ready to take notes? Amen. Number one, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian, and you should buy them that without it needing to be a special day. Amen? And so don't buy them a kitchen gadget. 
And let me just throw this in here as well. Pots and pans uh, would fit in that category as well. Don't make the mistake of buying that for your wife. The second thing he made note of here is don't buy clothing that involves sizes. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. He says this, the chances are one in 7,000 that you are going to get it right. Um, And your wife is going to be offended the other 6,999 times that you get it wrong. You buy her a size 16. Do I look like a size 16 to you? She'll say. You buy too small a size, that doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn a size 2 in 20 years. He says here, number 3, avoid all things useful. The new silver polish advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you any brownie points. Number four, don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. She'll, she'll perceive a six-month membership to a diet center as a suggestion that she's overweight. My father bought my mother one time an elliptical for Christmas. or Was it for her birthday? Anyway, that did not go over real well with my mom. She didn't appreciate that. Uh, number five, don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can't afford, your wife just doesn't want it. Number six, finally, don't spend too much. How do you think we're going to afford that, she'll ask. But don't spend too little, she'll say anything, she'll say things like, is that all I'm worth? So, be careful when it comes to buying. Am I on here on the lapel, Brother Matt? Just making sure I'm on here. Okay, because I'm getting ready to move around. There are two approaches to Mother Father's Day sermons uh, when it comes to these. I can either encourage you, ladies, or I can scathe you. I can just pour down fire and brimstone from heaven. Uh, my plan this morning is really simple. To cover the life of Sarah... Uh, Isaac's mother in a nutshell and then give some encouragement to you moms at the end and then we can all get out of here nobody harmed and we can leave here happy amen no hurt feelings Sarah in the Bible epitomizes what a godly woman should be I believe that every mom here today can learn from the good and the bad choices of Sarah's life so as we look at Sarah from the book of Genesis this morning, let's look at uh, closely at five characteristics about the person of Sarah. Number one this morning, characteristic number one is this, uh, Sarah the follower. Sarah the follower. And I would encourage you to write these down and, uh, these down, and you can review them later uh, when you have time. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 5 there in your Bibles, Genesis 12, 5, the Bible says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. We see here that even though Abraham had no real plan on where he was going, Sarah followed anyway. Now, let me just kind of help set the stage for you with this. Sarah and Abraham were well-to-do Wealthy people who must have lived in a very comfortable setup, a very comfortable home. They weren't the scuttlebutt of society. They weren't just uh, kind of milling along through life and looking to get out of town and catch a break. No, Abraham was a man of clout. Abraham was a man of wealth. 
Abraham was a man of prestige. He had uh, people that worked for him. The Bible calls them men-servants and women-servants. And uh, uh, while we look at that as being a negative thing, back in the Bible times, if you were a servant or a slave, you were a servant or slave because you chose to be. And God had very clear, defined rules on how you were to treat someone who is a servant or a slave. You were not to treat them like property. Basically, they worked for you and you provided them food in their belly and a place to live. And so uh, you were... You were one of those because you chose to be. And the Bible even had provisions after so many years where you got to go free if you didn't want to live that lifestyle anymore. But the larger point here is that Sarah wasn't just picking up and leaving some bad situation. No, Sarah and Abraham, they were leaving Ur of the Chaldees. They were leaving a very nice area. The larger area would have been Haran. They were leaving a very nice setup to go... To go... Abraham didn't tell Sarah where they were going. Now, ladies, I want you to imagine that tomorrow your husband comes home. And he says, we're moving. And oh, the shock that sets in. And you think to yourself, what? And then then before you can even get anything out of your mouth, he says, I've already got the house up on the market. I've I've called our real estate agent and he's coming by to assess tomorrow, take pictures and put it up on the market. And I've got a, uh, the move, the movers are, are, uh, the moving trucks ordered and uh, they're going to be here on this date and they're going to pack up our house and load it into the truck and, and your head is spinning with information, ladies. And, and as soon as your husband gets through talking, you're just kind of in a daze. And, and then when you get yourself together, you, you, you say to him, you utter out the words, well, 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 well where, where are we going? And, and, and then all of a sudden, there's this weird silence. And you think to yourself, well, maybe he didn't hear me. Hey, I asked you, where are we going? And your husband looks at you and says, yeah, about that. Um, I haven't figured that out yet. What? You're going to quit your job? You're gonna, we're gonna leave our church, our friends, we're gonna leave our, our comfort zone, and we're gonna load everything up. Honey, I'll follow you to the corner of the planet, but you at least gotta tell me where we're going. I don't know where we're going. Well, that was exactly what happened to Sarah. Abraham came home and said to Sarah, we're moving, we're leaving uh, uh, everything you know and love, we're leaving your family, we're leaving everything behind, and, and I can't tell you where we're going. Now, I've noticed, I, uh, uh, again, this is looking at things from Sarah's perspective, but I've listed here uh, in my notes and up on the screen a few attributes of Sarah's husband, Abraham. The first one I noted is uh, what we've already kind of been talking about, was that her husband was a wanderer. Her husband was a wanderer. Some of you ladies may be married to a man who can't seem to make up his mind. He seems happy today here in western Connecticut, but tomorrow he wants to move to Montana and buy a ranch and, 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 and become a fence builder. <laughs> and uh, he just can't seem to make up his mind about where he wants to live, where he wants to go, what he wants to do. Uh, uh, he's constantly looking at magazines of, of other places that are different from where you live. And, and he might have the itch to get up and move. And you're the one that keeps him grounded. You're the one that keeps him here. You're the one that keeps him steady. But uh, Abraham, Sarah could not keep Abraham down. Now, let me just be clear here. God told Abraham to be a wanderer. God told Abraham to pick up his stuff and go. And God told Abraham, you're going to go to a destination that I will show you. It wasn't Abraham's desire. It was God's desire. But nonetheless, 
Uh, God and Abraham answered to God. Sarah answered to Abraham. And Sarah was right by his side. Okay, we're going to live in a tent. We're going to do away with the house. We're going to live in a tent. We're going to live here a little while and there a little while. And we're not really going to have a place to put down our roots and a place to call home. Okay, Abraham, if that's what you say, I'm right by your side. I'm on your team. Notice the second attribute of of, uh, Sarah's husband, Abraham, was that her husband wavered. Her husband wavered. Now, a uh, different dynamic back then in Bible times, and I don't recommend that you do this. In fact, I highly recommend that you don't do this. But Abraham and Sarah were related to each other before they got married. Abraham and Sarah shared one of the same parents, but not both of the same parents. I believe they shared the same father, but not the same mother. So they were technically brother and sister. Here's what happened. In both Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20, we get basically the same story with two different cities, but they're traveling into it, getting ready to go into a city. In Genesis 12, it's Egypt. And Abraham turns and looks at Sarah, his wife, and he says, Sarah, I don't know if I've told you lately, but I think you're just beautiful. And, you know, Sarah goes, oh, thank you, Abraham. You know, you tell me that regularly. I, I appreciate that. And Abraham says, no, 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 sweetheart, you don't understand. You are drop dead Gorgeous. And Sarah starts to blush and she says, oh honey, stop. You know, you're, you're really laying all the compliments thick. Is there something that you want out of me? And Abraham looks at Sarah and he says, you are the most beautiful woman on the planet. And Sarah's like, now sweetheart, you never really talk this way. What's going on? What do you want? And Abraham says, well actually, you know, I, I kind of do have an agenda here. You see, you are so beautiful that we're going to get into this Egypt there. And people that know things are going to look at you and they're going to decide that you should be married to the king. And they're going to come to you and they're going to ask you what our relationship is. You tell them that I'm your brother. And Sarah says, this isn't going to happen. And everyone says, no, it is going to happen. You are that beautiful. And so in both Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20... Abraham uh, and Sarah go into the town, and sure enough, the men approach her, and she says, that's my brother, and they take her into the palace so that she can marry the king. And God steps in and intervenes and keeps it from happening in both stories there. But what did Sarah do? Her husband's faith wavered, but Sarah just went right along with it. If that's what you want me to do, I'm not lying. I'm not telling the whole truth, but I'm not lying here. I'm going to be right behind my husband. We're looking at the the some attributes of Abraham this morning, her husband. The third attribute I'll point out here is that her husband was worrisome. Her husband was worrisome. By now by no means am I attempting to judge uh, uh the great Abraham. If my life if my life was recorded in the Bible, Abraham would look more like a saint than he already does. How many of you can say the same? If your life was put in the Bible, Abraham would look better than he already does. Um, Abraham was a great, great man of faith. One, uh, in fact, that's how Abraham is known. But Abraham at times did wring his hands in worry. Did wring his hands wondering what was going on. I can imagine Sarah sitting inside the tent and w- waiting for her husband to come in and co- come to bed. And Abraham sitting outside and having long conversations with God. And saying, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Uh, why won't you let my wife and I have a baby? What's going on, God? You promised that you were going to make of me a great nation. 
and, and my wife can't have a child, and, and I don't understand what you're doing here, Lord. And, and God, what about these covenants that you're making here with me? In Genesis 12, we see that they went into the land of Egypt because there was a famine in the land. They looked around at the things that they could no longer control, and what did they do? They picked up and they went to where the grass was greener and where the crops were uh, more lush and full and where they could eat. And so, so Abraham at times was worrisome, but Sarah was right there able to uh, 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 display faith and an unbelievable attitude as a follower of her husband. Let me give you an A, B, and a C about Sarah here this morning. First note, letter A, she was submissive. Look back with me at Genesis chapter 12 in verse number 11. The Bible says there, And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, that the Egyptians behold, beheld the woman, that she was very fair. Uh, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commanded her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So, just like Abraham asked of his wife, Sarah, now you see Abram and Sarai. Later, God would change Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. Uh, but uh, here you see Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah just goes right along in a submissive way uh, with what Abraham had asked. In First Peter chapter 3, in verse 6, the Bible says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid... With any amazement. Uh, we kind of joke around about this in our house. And I say, see Angela, Sarah obeyed Abraham. You're supposed to obey me. Get down and shine my shoes. No, I'm just teasing. We don't do that. I say, see here, uh, uh, Abraham, uh, Sarah called Abraham her Lord. And my new official title at home is Lord. you got to call me Lord and you got to bow down to me every time I walk in the room. How many think I probably would never get away with that? Uh, no, that do- it doesn't work that way. Uh, but it was a, obviously a cultural thing here. But th- there is a stronger truth here. And this is that Sarah was submissive to Abraham. You say, Pastor, uh, I don't like that teaching. I don't like that preaching. It doesn't go with what I have been raised and taught in my culture. I was raised that mom is in charge. Well, according to the Bible, uh, uh, God, the husband is supposed to follow God and the wife is supposed to follow her husband. Why was Sarah raised and elevated so hard in the Bible? Because she came under and followed her husband even when her husband didn't live up to the standard of which he was supposed to live. She came under and she submitted. Can I tell you all, ladies, today that one day when you stand before God and you give an account of your life, your husband's not going to be standing right next to you. And God is going to ask and want to know how well you did when it came to how, what you, how well you were able to submit to a husband that is far from perfect. Far from perfect. Sarah obeyed, she submitted, she came under Abraham's lead. Sarah, the follower, the follower. One of the things that uh, many women have to fix is this mentality of who's in charge in the house. You, if you think you're the leader at home, then you can't follow. That's your mentality. And so maybe that's the first step you take is to change that mentality. And then you can work on the submissive part. Let her be noticed she was a servant. 
Genesis chapter 18. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 6. The Bible says there, And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And the backstory here is that some uh, angels had come unannounced and uninvited to Abraham and just to simply deliver a message. And Abraham uh, 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 encouraged them to stay so that he could uh, prepare a meal for them and, and cook for them and, and host them, trying to be a good host there for these angels. And so he ran into the tent real quick and uh, he looked at Sarah and he said, Sarah, quickly, I need you to make these cakes on the oven there and quickly get them to me. And the Bible is clear that Sarah did that. Um, Sarah could have looked at him and said, I'm not making you any, any, any cakes. You make them. Who do you think I am? But that wasn't Sarah's attitude. She was a servant. She came under and said, you know what? If that's what you need, I'll step up and I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I am here and willing to go along uh, beside it. Let me just say this. Abraham in the Bible is lifted up and held high as a great man of faith, and rightfully so. But behind every great great man, you find a great woman, a woman who's a strong woman. You say, Pastor, she wasn't strong. She got pushed around by Abraham. She was submissive. She was a servant. Do you understand that it takes a strong woman to be a submissive woman? It takes a strong woman to be a supportive woman, even when her man is wrong, even when her man is is making the wrong decisions to step up and say, I'm, go- I'm going to support, I'm going to serve. Let her see, notice she was supportive. The body of work shown in the scriptures of Sarah's life shows that no matter the direction that God took her husband, Sarah was right there by his side to support him. God gave Abraham some pretty strange orders in the Bible. He, he said to Abraham, leave and go to a place I will show you. He said to Abraham, I want you and your wife to have a child well beyond childbearing years. Through it all, through it all, Sarah remained supportive. Abraham, I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand why God's leading us this way. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't always get it. But Abraham, I'm going to trust that your relationship with God is such that I'm going to support you because not only do I trust you, I trust the God that you're following. She was submissive. She was a servant. She was supportive. Point number two, notice Sarah the fruitless. Look with me at Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 1. Sarah the fruitless. The Bible says there, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Deep in the heart of every woman is the desire to, to have a child, to bear a child. God places this instinctively inside of every woman. God had closed Sarah's womb. God had chosen to not give her children until her appointed time. And as Sarah began to experience menopause setting in, Sarah must have become both depressed and anxious. Anxious. 
the lesson that we can learn here is that with God, there are no limitations. There are no limitations. God can take a situation uh, uh, and make it happen. Now, you and I see limitations. You and I see confines. You and I see things cannot happen in this way and in this time. But remember, we're talking about the God who looked at Sarah well after her her, uh, midlife uh, time there, well after menopause, and said, I'm going to put a child in your womb while you're in your 90s. This is the same God that stepped out on nothing and created everything with the sound of His voice. The sound of His voice. This is a God who knows what perfect timing is. Sometimes our timing doesn't match up with God's timing. Sometimes God does not work on our timetable, our schedule. God, you're late. Don't you know that I need this by this age of my life and I need this by this date and time? And and God, where are you and what are you doing? And I'm here to tell you that if you think that God is late, it's not that God is late, it's that you're early. God's timing is always perfect. Let me say that again. God's timing is always perfect. You remember the story of, um, of Lazarus in the New Testament? Lazarus gets sick. And Mary and Martha send for Jesus, who quite a ways away. And Jesus hears the news that Lazarus is sick, a friend of his. And the Bible says that Jesus tarried. He stayed a couple of extra days. His disciples looked at him and said, well, Jesus, aren't you going to go and take care of Lazarus? And well, no, not, it's not time yet. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die. And then Jesus began his journey to Bethany, where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. Jesus gets to the outskirts of the town of, of Bethany, and Martha the doer, Martha the outspoken, Martha who was the female version of the Apostle Peter, comes running up into the presence of the Master, comes running up to the presence of the Messiah, and while not disrespectful, definitely approached the line of disrespect and said to him, Jesus, where were you? Had you been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus intellectually engages with Martha for a bit, tells her he's the resurrection and the life, and, and, and Martha leaves and goes back home and tells Mary, Jesus has come. And Mary, the humble one, comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. And with tears in her eyes, she looks up at her Savior and he says, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then that's where the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. My friends, Jesus didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. Jesus wept because Mary was hurting. Jesus comes walking into town. He walks up to the place where Lazarus is buried. He orders the stone to be removed. Several people object because uh, uh, Lazarus had been dead now four days. And he says, just remove the stone. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And what seemed to be too late of a situation, Lazarus rose from the dead and came walking out of that tomb, raised back to life. You say, Pastor, you don't know, I needed, that, I needed something yesterday from God, and He didn't come through. And I'm here today to tell you that God's timing is perfect. 
For Sarah, it was a baby. It was a baby. Sarah's womb was closed. She wanted so badly to have a baby. Menopause set in and no baby was there. On, on top of all of the frustration that Sarah felt, Sarah was clinging to a promise that God had given her husband. Turn back over to Genesis chapter 12. Look with me at verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house and the land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. God had told Abram here, at this time his name was Abram, he had said, Get up and leave your house and go. And what you're going to get in return is I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now, I imagine when Abraham came home and told his wife, hey, God wants us to pick up and move, to leave this place of comfort, uh, uh, to leave this place of familiarity, and, and to get up and go. I don't know where we're going. God's going to lead us along the way. Here's the, here's the selling point, Sarah. He says if we will obey Him, that He's going to give us a child. And Sarah, no doubt at this point, was already desperate for a baby. So up she went, packing things and selling the house and buying a tent which they could travel in and live in. And off they went, and year after year after year after year passed, and no child. Sarah was fruitless. Sarah was fruitless. I imagine Sarah began to think, well, God told Abraham he would make of him a great nation. But nowhere did he promise I would be involved in the picture. Nowhere did he promise it was going to be me that would have his children. Point number three, we find Sarah the faithless. Sarah the faithless. Look down at Genesis chapter 16 with me. Here we see a low point in Sarah's life. Verse 1, we read how the Bible said that she was fruitless and that she couldn't have a baby. And we also said that the Bible says there that she had a handmaiden named Hagar. Verse 2, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my, unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after... I'm sorry, I lost my spot here. Uh, back in verse 3. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian. And Abram uh, had dwelt ten years in the land uh, of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Hagar, was despised in her eyes. Uh, Sarah decided, it is time to take matters in my own hands. God, you're not going to give me a baby. I'm well past my childbearing years. I'm no longer capable of having a baby. I have this cute little handmaid named Hagar. She clearly is still in her reproductive era of life. I'm going to give her to my husband and let him have a baby through her. And then I will adopt this child and make it my own. But what happened was, when Hagar became expecting Sarah became jealous. The Bible says she despised her. Sarah lacked both faith and patience in God. If I could give a word to the men here, if I could just for a moment. Men, God has placed you as the leader of your home because God, because you have been equipped by God with a heavy dose of logic and common sense. 
Now, everybody has logic and common sense here. And, here. and, and let me just say this as well. I've met some women that have more logic and common sense than some men. Uh, but by and large, God has equipped women to be enhanced emotionally, and He's equipped men to be enhanced with logic and common sense. That's how it's supposed to work. And so, you women keep us men in check emotionally, and us men are supposed to keep you women in check logically. And uh, uh, Sarah was making a bad decision based on emotion, and Abraham did not step up and shut her down. Instead, Abraham went along with it. And I would say to you today, to the men here today, is that don't let your wife make a decision for the two of you based out of emotion. And I would tell you ladies, when your husband gets emotion, emotional, don't let him do that either. When you're emotional, that's a really bad time to be making decisions. The Arab nation was born through the bowels of Hagar in the form of Ishmael. All of the hatred in the Middle East that you see today came as a result of this poor decision to conceive Ishmael through the bowels of Hagar. This morning I'm here to say that Sarah was faithless. She could not wait on God because in her mind, things were impossible. Let me say this morning that oftentimes what we do... I. And I, and I don't want to be assumptive. Let me, say, let me phrase it this way. Oftentimes what I do, and I think probably many of you are in the same boat with me, but I don't want to make any assumptions. Oftentimes what I do is I'll put God in a box, and I'll say God is about as capable as I am times about 10% more. And when I can't do something, well, maybe God can do it. Maybe. Can I tell you today that God can do anything He wants? Anything He wants. There's stories in the Bible about God making the, the sun stand still in the sky. God didn't just make the earth stand still. God's actually moved the earth backwards at a request without anything flying off. Uh, uh, God, uh, God can do anything He wants. He created everything you see in six literal days. And then He came down with His hands and He formed Adam out of the dust. He, he opened up Adam's side and He took out a rib and He formed that into a, a female. And God, uh, day after day after day, continues to perform miracle after miracle after miracle. You say, well, what about my situation? Can I tell you today that God can still do a work in your life, but two things are necessary. One, you've got to believe He can do it. You gotta believe. If your faith isn't there, how, how many times in Scripture did Jesus say, according to your faith, be it unto you? What is it that you're struggling with today? Do you really believe that God's gonna step in and do something? And the second thing is that God's gotta want to step in and do it. When you put those two things together, together, great things happen. Now, I don't anticipate any ladies in our church that are beyond their childbearing years having babies, right? Uh, but uh, if you do, we'll make the news, amen? But Sarah was, at this moment in her life, for a short time she was faithless. Number four, notice Sarah, the faith-filled. Sarah, the faith-filled. You say, well, hold on, Pastor, I thought you just said she was faithless. How many of you in here have ever had a moment where you had a lapse in faith? And then you had another moment, you came back and you were strong in your faith. How many of you have experienced both in your life? Doesn't Sarah get to be both? Doesn't Sarah get to be both? Yes, she struggled. She was faithless. But at the same time, by the same measure and token, she was faith-filled just a little bit later. Look down to Genesis chapter 22 with me in your Bibles. Verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. 
and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Back in the beginning of verse 1, the Bible says that God did tempt Abraham. Uh, let me just quickly put in a plug for my message for tonight. Tonight we're going to be looking at a sermon entitled this, Lifting Up Christ Through Temptation. We're going to be talking about temptations that we face. Everybody here faces temptations every single day. And your temptation set of temptations might be tailored to you a little bit different than mine, but we all face temptations every day. Uh, the Bible tells us that God cannot tempt any man. You say, but it just says right there that God tempted Abraham. Um, there are two ways to define tempt. Uh, the word tempt here means to prove. To prove. Uh, the other definition of tempt would be to solicit to sin. God was not trying to get Abraham to sin here. God was trying to prove Abraham's faith. So, different definitions uh, for the same word. God cannot solicit anyone to sin, but God can prove our faith. Now, with that clarified and with that stated, uh, let me just say this about Sarah being faith-filled. I believe that Sarah must have been there when God commanded this of Abraham. I don't know the whereabouts uh, of where Abraham and Sarah were at the moment, but if I could just um, uh, imagine, you can imagine with me, I've always imagined that maybe Abraham and Sarah were laying in bed, maybe on a Saturday morning, and they're laying there uh, and having uh, uh, some pillow talk, maybe talking about what they're going to do that day, and all of a sudden God came down, and in the Bible times, in the Old Testament specifically, God would speak directly to people with an audible voice. He doesn't do that today, but God spoke to Abraham. And I imagine Sarah must have been there, and I'll tell you why I think Sarah was there in a minute. But God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, Isaac, that you love. And I want you to go on a trip to a mountain called Moriah. And I want you to plunge a knife into his chest and kill him. Now, why do I think Sarah must have heard that? Let's just assume that your husband, ladies, is the most spiritual man in the entire world. Now, for every man here, that would be a step up, right? Well, let's assume your husband is the most spiritual man in the entire world. And he comes home to you and he says, God told me to take our son and I'm going to take him on a journey and I'm going to put him on an altar and I'm going to run a knife through his chest. How many ladies would object? Now, you're not raising your hands, but every one of you would object. Why do I think Sarah must have heard the voice of God? Because Sarah did not step in Abraham's way and stop him. Now, Abraham would not run the knife through his son because God would stop it before it got that far. God was proving Abraham's faith. God was proving that Abraham loved him, loved God, more than he loved his son. Oh, but how Abraham and Sarah 
uh, cherished Isaac. God had given them Isaac in their old age, well past their childbearing years. and They valued him. They loved him. They cared for him. They cherished him, much like you would if you had really, really, really been wanting a child and God had made you wait a long time. And, and, and here, Sarah is having to look up to her God in heaven and say, God, I don't know why you want my husband to kill my son, but I have faith that you have my best interest in heart. She was a woman that was filled with faith. Filled with faith. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. What's that mean? That means you are to submit to your husband as though he is God, as though you are married to God. Sarah was submissive to Abraham even in this epic story. Even in this story where it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Can I ask you a question this morning, uh, uh, ladies? How much faith do you have in God? How much trust are you putting into a holy God? Number five, we see Sarah the faithful. Turn with me over one chapter back to Genesis chapter 21. looking at the life of the great Sarah, the mother, the grandmother of, 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 of Jacob, who would have his name changed to Israel. Literally, the grandmother of the nation of Israel. The great Sarah who raised and taught Isaac how to do what was right. And Isaac who taught Jacob how to do what was right and how to love God. Sarah, the great matriarch rather of the Bible. Genesis chapter 21, verse 6, the Bible says, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Isaac's name literally meant laughter. Laughter. They named their son Laughter. Why did they do that? Because they waited and waited and waited and waited. And God finally opened up the womb and allowed Sarah to have this child. And she was so happy that she laughed. Why did God give Sarah that child? Can I engage, can I engage you mentally just for a few more minutes? I'm almost done. Will you give me your attention just for a few more minutes here? What if Sarah, way back in Genesis 12... When God said to Abraham, sell everything you got, pick up and go to the land I'm going to show you. And Sarah said, oh, not me. I'm not going anywhere. Who does that God think he is trying to inconvenience my life? I'm staying right here. Abraham, if you want to go, you go ahead and go by yourself. Can I make a sure statement right here with you right now? Sarah would have never had a baby. Sarah would have never enjoyed the journey of having the child Isaac. She would have never known the laughter of holding a baby in her arms. But because Sarah said, okay, I don't understand it, but let's go. What if Sarah along the way had said to Abraham, you know, you've drugged me from city to city to city to city. I quit! You know, Sarah would have never had that baby. 
What if Sarah at some point would have looked at her husband and said, you know what, I've been married to you all these years, I'm filled with vitriol, I'm filled with poison, I'm filled with a bitter spirit toward you, and a bitter spirit toward your God, I'm not going to let you touch me, you can't lay a hand on me. She would have never become impregnated with the child Isaac. But because she stayed loyal and trusting and faithful to her husband, because she was faithful, faithful, faithful to her husband, she got to hold that child and know the laughter of holding a newborn baby. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, that diligently seek him. A rewarder of them that seek him for the long haul. A rewarder of them that stay with it on the long term. God rewarded Sarah's faithfulness because she remained faithful. Faithful. Let me, let me, uh, let me contrast faith and faithfulness for you if I could here. Christian faith is believing in a God that we cannot see. Believing in a God that we cannot see. Nobody here has ever seen God. If anybody ever tells you that they've seen God with their, with your eyes, you need to turn around and walk away from them. Nobody has ever seen God. Uh, in the flesh. Nobody walking the earth has seen God in the flesh. You cannot see Him, but you can have faith in Him. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is remaining consistent over the long haul of life in our faith to God. Abraham had a wife named Sarah who was faithful to him, faithful to their wedding vows. Faithful to follow him. Faithful to be submissive to him. Faithful to support him. Along the way. Faithful to serve him. As he got older, she was still by his side. Older, still by his side. Older, still by his side. And the day came that God looked down at Sarah's faithfulness and said, There is a lady who's had faith in me for a long period of time. I'm going to open up her womb in her old age and I'm going to give her a child. What's the challenge this morning? Have faith in God. But don't just have it for a day or a week or a month or a year or five years or ten years. Have it for a lifetime. Be faith-filled and be faithful at it. Let me finish the message with this. The work of a mother is endless. There seems to always be laundry to do, dishes to be washed, a meal to be made. Hopefully not today. Hopefully you don't have to cook today, ladies. A meal to be made, homework that needs help, a child or husband that needs encouragement, a carpet that needs vacuumed, a floor that needs swept, a nose that needs wiped, a boo-boo that needs mama's special touch, a bed that needs made, on and on and on the list goes. And I just stress some of you out reminding you all the work you got to do when you get home. Moms, thank you for all you do. Let me read a poem to you here. The, uh, just, the, the poet said this, I see you're tired when I get home. You feel some days you're all alone. But, when, what, but what you're doing is priceless, dear. One day you'll look back one year. Far from now when these kids are grown, you'll remember the days you spent at home. Wiping noses, washing dishes, having tea parties, getting kisses. Playing ball and tying shoes, dressing dolls and kissing boo-boos. Then you'll look at me with tearful eyes and know you got the better prize. To every mom here today that puts in tireless effort and energy, that loves us and helps take care of our homes even when you don't feel good yourselves, let me say thank you for being unnoticed 
and unmentioned and making our homes a happy place to live. Thank you, thank you, thank you. To those of you here today, let me just say uh, that you, you, I hope that the challenge or the, the life of Sarah challenges you. How did Sarah get to heaven? I believe Sarah's in heaven today. How did Sarah get to heaven? The Bible tells us that it was accounted unto Abraham righteousness for his faith. And that would be Sarah as well. There was a day and time where Abraham and Sarah looked and knew that the Christ child, the Messiah, would be born, the Son of God on earth, and would die for their sin. And they believed on that. By the way, Isaac would birth Jacob. Jacob would birth uh, uh, Abraham. Would have uh, Sarah would have Isaac. Uh, Isaac's wife Rebecca would have Jacob. Jacob's wife, uh, one of Jacob's wives, would have the child of Judah. Judah would birth King David. King David would birth the Christ child. All the way back through the womb of Sarah came the Messiah, who would die on the cross for Sarah's sins. And Sarah believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was accounted unto her. For righteousness, you cannot get it heaven without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed.